Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a podcast about Star Trek by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a podcast about Star Trek. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, uh, the sound you're hearing behind me is chainsaws. Uh, chainsaws and wood chippers. Because no, you, you have a, a bunch of murderers from various horror films and Fargo near your house? Yeah, uh, I'm recording today uh, on a studio lot. Uh, where where all that practical sound is happening. It's really great. It's great for podcast recording. Awesome. I've set up uh, a couple of light stands and uh, a big blanket behind me. I'm hoping that that knocks down the noise a little bit. But uh, if I sound anything less than my usual best, that's why. Okay. <laughs> this is a classic boy who cried wolf and, a, uh, and an axe murderer is going to come in and I'm just going to think it's one of the many crazy sounds that was naturally in your environment and not call the police. All of our interstitial music should just be uh, chainsaw related. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, that one Limp Bizkit song. Oh, shit. How dare you? <laughs> we will not. Today's episode is about season one, episode... 14. Is that 14? I want to get that right. Oh, yeah. Season 1, episode 14. Episode title is Angel 1. Ben, you want to take us through? Yeah. So um, I guess the ship has... They've come across a the wreck of a freighter called the Odin, which they thought it was crashed seven years ago. They find this wreck and uh, they discover that some escape pods have been have been used. So... They decide to head over to this planet, Angel One, which uh, the Federation hasn't visited in decades, but it's the closest, you know, habitable planet to where the wreck of the Odin was found, and they're going to look for some survivors. So they approach this planet, you know, with with some caution because uh, Angel One is um, is not a spacefaring species yet. They're similar technology level to 20th century earth and very similar uh, species to humans, but uh, they're, you know, not in the Federation. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, prime directive stuff is going to come into play with any interaction with a species like this. And um, they, uh, they get on, on FaceTime with the head of, I guess they don't get on FaceTime, do they? They just, they just uh, radio up the, uh, the head of, of Angel One and uh, arranged to beam down uh, to negotiate for uh, the right to even look around for these survivors. Right, and they and they decide to let Troy take the lead on this. They they talk amongst themselves and they're like, "Well, planet run by women, uh, a good a good foot forward might be to let Troy take the lead on this." And so that's what they do. Yeah, exactly. So this is uh, a an oligarchy. Uh, I think data says that uh, with women at the top and and uh, you know all of the um, all of the th- things that are normal to us in our patriarchal society are flipped on their darned heads in this angel one planet. Uh, yeah, there's so, really a powerful message being told here. Yeah. So uh, I guess Riker, Yar, 
uh, Troy and Data beam down to the planet and they meet the elected one or is that what she was called the elected one i don't know, know, that. I don't know. yeah whatever the whatever the fucking the top dog in their society sarah uh, connor who, from terminator that's who <laughs> she is that's a, what we can call her everyone a, knows a different who that actress is. yeah it's a different actress but it's a very similar, like Amy Adams, Isla Fisher type of situation where you could yeah. see them both being cast in a lot of the same kinds of parts because they are hard to tell apart. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and she's initially really not even interested in admitting whether these survivors being around is a possibility. And they're they're pretty standoffish. They seem to have a real chip on their shoulders about the federation despite the fact that the federation really hasn't like spent much time interacting with them these are just kind of plot points they eventually admit that these refugees from the uh, destruction of the odin did in fact land on angel one seven years ago and they they've been declared fugitives because they don't really fit into the social structure of this uh, female-dominated society, and we should say that like the casting of this is pretty is pretty fun. Like all of the women are like really statuesque. They they tend to be very tall and very lovely. They're and wearing all, super tall boots too. Like yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, I guess so. But all all of the dudes that uh, that we see that are you know native inhabitants of Angel One are super super short. Like they're whenever, male gymnasts short. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, they are, we are the jockeys, and the jockeys are we short. Uh, we don't ever see where they live. We can assume underground in a fiberglass tree. Yeah, yeah, they're, uh, uh, they all, they all look of or related to Clay Aiken, I feel like, too. <laughs> There's some definite Aiken vibes. Mm-hmm. So the away team really stand out down here. Do you feel like Riker's finally home? <laughs> Yeah, he, he couldn't. That, he couldn't get out of his seat fast enough to go to the transporter room. Like he yeah, was ready this, for this. This is this is a sexual challenge that I don't even know if Riker had ever considered. But uh, like he's he's his, really up for it. The main character question for Riker is: Can I take on an entire planet? <laughs> yeah, that is every scene. Uh, that's the subtext. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so what they what they learn uh, from Beata is that. You know the the incredibly rigid hierarchical social structure that they have here on Angel One is has been deteriorating over the years, but the the Federation refugees sort of catalyzed uh, an acceleration in the decline, and that's why they're considered sort of enemies of the state. He just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill 
a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Meanwhile, back on the ship, uh, Wesley is getting into some hijinks playing snowball fights on the holodeck and uh, hits Picard in the face with a snowball. (laughs) Uh, that you know, I guess I guess they threw it and and uh, didn't see that the that the captain and and commander Worf were. I guess Worf is still just a lieutenant. Yeah. Uh, captain and lieutenant Worf are walking around in the hallways nearby. Um, but Ben, do they, we know where the holodecks are in relation to like the ship structure itself? It seems. It seems I, uh, like when you walk you know that- by the holodecks, you should sort of get that at any point a door might open and you are either hit with a snowball or or something far worse. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I know that holodeck three is near main engineering because that's where uh, Jordy always sets up his simulations uh, 
but I, I, I that means that there's at least two more, and I have no idea where where they are on the ship. Man, that um, is some knowledge right there. Yeah, that's uh, that's impressive. That's knowledge that has me forgetting when my father's birthday is kind of knowledge, you know? Uh, that's great. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, Ben's dad. I think, uh, I think you probably guessed that your birthday would be forgotten when, uh, when Ben started calling himself Wesley. <laughs> Boy, I, I hope, I hope he's not a listener to this show. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he gets hit by a snowball. So does Worf, right? Or does Worf just get the snowball shrapnel? I think Worf gets the shrapnel. But uh, as uh, as Picard shoes Wesley and his little friend away, they smell a smell that uh, reminds Worf of some Klingon flower, I guess. And uh, which has got to be like the corpse flower, right? Right. And what, so what winds up happening is that this is a an airborne virus that starts kind of sweeping through the ship and uh you know Worf is pretty soon sick with it you know i think wesley comes down with it first but then Worf has it uh eventually picard has it and he has to leave uh the bridge like this is the first time that crusher actually takes picard out of the command structure with a medical order because he is he's got a pretty raging head cold and picard leaves the uh, leaves leaves the bridge and uh, puts Jordy in command. And there's a there's a very funny scene where Jordy goes and sits in the big chair, and it's like they really play it for like for like hey, like look at what a cool show we are that we let a black character be in command very temporarily. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will admit, I felt that moment tinged with uh, with weight in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great for the character of Jordy, but I really felt the producers patting themselves on the back in a way that kind of skeeved me out. Hey, hey, viewer, remember that super racist episode we had like five back? <laughs> We're trying here to make is, up for it. Here is something that will only fractionally undo <laughs> some of the really serious harm that we caused. Uh, yeah, gross. The away team goes and meets with Ramsey, the leader of the... <laughs> Uh, the Odin's survivors and uh, let's let's name the uh, let's name the male uh, protagonist figure on the planet after a popular brand of condom. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Maybe they were thinking of that name for a Riker before they <laughs> decided it was a little too on the nose. Oh, that would be great. But uh, since they're citizens of the Federation, but not members of Starfleet, the uh, the survivors. Uh, of whom Ramsey is the only one that gets really any screen time to speak of. Uh, they refuse to uh, go back to the Federation. They've they've made lives here. Some of them have wives and families. They recognize that the society that they have adopted is super unjust and fucked up, but it feels like home to them. And because they are free citizens and don't, uh, you know, they don't like exist within Starfleet's command structure. Starfleet doesn't really have any jurisdiction to remove them against their will. So I thought, I thought Ramsey's was, I'm just going to keep calling him Ramsey's, right? That's his name. (laughs) Ramsey. Uh, Something like that. Singular. Yeah. Uh, we can cut all that out. Uh, I thought Ramsey was one of the coolest looking people that we've seen yet. 
Like, yeah, he looks like David a- Lee Roth. He's got yeah. an awesome biker jacket. Like, he's super brooding. Like, yeah. like he's sort of heroic. Yeah, he's definitely got the same jacket as uh, Poe Dameron loses at the beginning of uh, Star Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Yeah, like it's a it's like a cool ass jacket, and you wouldn't you wouldn't think less of a stormtrooper for stealing it from you. You know? Yeah, I mean he's drinking mead out of one of those like big iron cups. I mean he's been living on his own for eight years. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. The guy seems real like, cool. Yeah, he's chill as fuck. He's like living in a living in a cave, swilling on a tankard, and uh, standing up for for what's his. He's, he sort of looks like he's living Riker's dream at the moment. Yeah, he's uh, surrounded uh, by uh, babes, marooned on a planet uh, made up entirely of powerful women, and there's no escape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Riker's just standing behind uh, some foliage to cover up his boner. Yeah. Riker's like, this isn't a plot. This is a holodeck program. <laughs> He's just pinching himself the entire time. <laughs> so this is a real conundrum because if they, uh, you know, they can't violate these guys' rights by removing them, but by leaving them there, it, uh, you know, means that they're potentially... Uh, imperiling a relationship they have with this planet, which is considered strategically important in the quadrant. And uh, it's a it's a real conundrum. So meanwhile, pressure is building back on the ship because more and more crew members are uh, being incapacitated and they've gotten word from Starfleet that um, shit's starting to heat up at the neutral zone. Um, so the Romulans are building up a fleet on the edge of Federation space and there's another ship and a and an outpost out there but they're not really any match for what the romulans are flexing and the enterprise is is required to head over there and uh put on a show of force we're made to think that uh, the romulans might be as dangerous as the ferengi at this point <laughs> potentially so they they send data back up to the ship because Obviously, he's not susceptible to this specific disease, even though he was susceptible to one earlier. And uh, Riker's orders are like, get to the get to the neutral zone uh, before it's too late, and and you know put a stop to this situation. Then you can come back and get us, and we'll resolve this. But that puts the survivors in a bad situation because <laughs> the Laura Connor, excuse me, the Sarah Connor character has ordered the execution of all of the survivors of the Odin and all of the uh, wives that they have taken to kind of put put a stop to this uh, problem problematic movement within their society and culture the demonstration and, of their execution machine is great it's it's sort of like yeah. in data lore how how lore wanted to transport a tree outside and then shoot it with a phaser to demonstrate the enterprise's power uh yeah. sarah connor just puts a big potted plant uh in the suicide <laughs> booth and then uh and then hits a button and then destroys the plant it's no great. she doesn't hit a, she doesn't hit a button it's her like her little it's clay uh, aiken her yeah her little clay aiken guy lowers <laughs> his hand slowly onto a crystal ball which starts glowing red and then the thing the and then the potted plant like evaporates in into thin air <laughs> Everyone's like, holy shit. Riker makes this impassioned plea for the lives of the survivors saying, like, don't do this. Like, even 
even if, you know, it's obviously your right to do whatever you want as the elected leader of your society. And that's the way the law works here. But if you, if you kill these guys, you're going to make martyrs out of them. And that's really stupid and not worth it. And, um, she like bounces out of there to consider his idea. And, uh, and, uh, they come back and, and announce that they're going to take Ramsey and all of his, all of his followers and banish them to the far side of the planet where life will be hard, but they won't have any interaction with the oligarchy and they won't, won't threaten, uh, Sarah Connor's rule. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's sort of a weird, it's not quite a happy ending. It's like, she basically cops to the idea that they want to slow the evolution of their society. And this is how they're going to do it by basically marooning these people out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) So, uh, I guess that'll work. And Riker gets a good, uh, lawyer moment. Uh, I think this is his first time really like stating a case eloquently. Yeah. He makes, when he's not trying to bone someone. Yeah. I guess maybe maybe he uh, he's so eloquent now because uh, he got that tension out of his system <laughs> yeah. about 20 minutes before. Yeah, he's in a refractory period, and that makes his uh, his words a lot more appealing to the women of, of, uh, of Angel One. Yeah. Uh, One of the most fun scenes in the whole episode is uh, is he's, he sets up a meeting with, uh, with Sarah Connor, and, uh, and Sarah has some clothes sent to him. So yeah. so Riker's in in the little condo with Troy and Tasha and they're like you're not going to wear this are you and Riker's like of course <laughs> yeah. of course I do this all the time I was on that one planet wearing feathers and I was on that other planet wearing like spiky shoulder pads like he he like lists <laughs> off all these examples of times where he's worn crazy shit you're not going to wear that of course part of this mission is diplomatic I have requested an audience with the head of state and I will honor her by wearing Indigenous apparel. I don't believe this. You're going to put that thing on and parade around like one of them? Why, what is this attitude? On Kabatras, I had to wear furs to meet with the leadership council. And on Armist 9, I wore feathers. So he ducks behind uh, the partition, puts on the costume, and it is like, it is awesome. It, yeah. uh, it's, a plun- oh, it's a plunging V that would make the American apparel people blush. Like it V's, <laughs> it V's all the way down to the crotch. And then it's patterns sort of, and colors that would make them very excited. Yeah. <laughs> it exposes just the left nipple. Yeah. Uh, and boy, like as, Prodigious as, as a, as a man who cannot grow a beard, I, I see how hairy one commander Riker is and I'm like, God, I just wish I could do that. Like very envious of uh, yeah. of that going on. So he's like, "Don't worry, uh, I've got this. I've got this cool costume and a meeting set up. I'm going to keep it professional." So he goes out. <laughs> he goes out to hang with Sarah Connor, who like immediately puts the moves on him, like in a pretty, pretty evident like shit's going to go down, right? Yeah. They lay on the bed. They're talking together. Riker actually calls what he's doing diplomatic relations, which is great. Like, it's almost like smile and wink at the camera before turning back to Sarah Connor and making out. And they do one of the classic naked gun transitions. Like, they don't, they don't dissolve to an oil derrick pumping. But <laughs> or a they, train going into a tunnel. <laughs> but they do, they do like a two-second, like a full two-second dissolve to a campfire while we're back with uh, the Ramsey's character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, it was that was really nice. I enjoyed that scene quite a bit. Yeah, the I, I would say that the other really genuinely enjoyable moment in this in this episode is the scene when Worf is sneezing on the bridge because they dub in like <laughs> like they, amplified lion roars every time he sneezes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the like Worf is uh you know a big dude but he's not like significantly huger than anybody else on the ship but they make it sound like his his sneezes are are deafening and audible throughout the enterprise like they sound Jordy, super Jordy cool. implies that that uh that other p- people in other parts of the ship can hear him engineering reports computer mouth <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting sick. I'm sure half the ship knows that by now. Report to sick bay, Lieutenant. Engineering to bridge. <laughs> this is also the second episode in a row where there's sneeze humor. Like, we didn't go over <laughs> it last time, but uh, in the Data Lore episode, uh, one of the scenes is Data standing yeah, in front it- of a mirror trying to sound authentic when he sneezes and he can't quite pull it off. I feel like there's a writer in that writer's room that's constantly trying to force in some sneeze references because this is two yeah. in a row now. It's either that or there's a writer that everybody hates that's constantly <laughs> sneezing and they're yeah. kind of kind of su- subliminally writing writing it into episodes. Um, <laughs> God, Dave is so stupid. God, I can't believe he came to work sick. <laughs> now he's going to get all of us sick. Yeah. I think that the uh, the thing that I think is interesting about this episode, you know, it, it's it's sort of on its face meant to be kind of thought provoking about gender issues, and I don't think it quite succeeds at that. Uh, but it does raise some interesting uh, ideas about like freedom of movement, and mm. uh, I think that like the Federation has pretty interesting standards with regard to that. Like, there's you know. The, they can't they can't just tell one of their citizens like what planet they can and can't be on which um you know has got to be kind of a headache for starfleet if they're going around trying to enforce the prime directive but anybody that's outside of their command structure is not uh bound by it um and and you know like there's plenty of people in the federation that have spaceships that can get to these planets so it's uh I don't know I I, I thought I thought that was interesting it, it, an interesting thought experiment it sort of makes you think about like a an individual's right to movement and uh, and I thought it was like maybe unintentionally more thought provoking than uh, it, it needed to be on that on that tip I like the idea of unintentional thought provoking that's great <laughs> I think I think you're right and this is another example I feel like of the show bringing up an issue but not really going all the way in on it. I mean, is it enough to have an episode concerning gender roles and relations and have Riker fuck one of the women? Like, is it enough to have a, an episode that that has some, uh, some racial inequality references and then uh, have a super clumsy fight to the death with the people? Like, they... The show at this point seems to raise the conversation, but doesn't really take it seriously enough to to resolve it in any satisfying way. They just sort of yeah. 
they bring up the topic and then they they sort of play it out in their own way and they don't resolve it in a way that satisfies at least at this point i think i think we both know that this show gets a lot better at that kind of stuff but for now i think it sort of seems satisfied enough to just sort of uh have it involved but not be able to really have a message about it one way or the other well i have good news for you adam we are officially across the halfway point for season one and uh you know, not to say it's all downhill from here, but uh, this is got, where we're setting up base camp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll we'll acclimatize for the uh, the rest of the <laughs> journey from this point. Is that what those headaches have been about until now? <laughs> yeah, that and the uh, autoerotic asphyxiation belt you have around your neck. Right, right. Uh, don't leave home without it. Tanaga. <laughs> Drunction Mode is the time in the show where we recognize an achievement in character development that could be, uh, you know, a character having the most fun or doing something we don't understand or just being weird. So, right. So, Ben, uh, do you have a, a Drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I, I, uh, I, I really struggled to come up with one. I didn't write one down. Um, grasping at straws, I'm going to say it's maybe the combination of Yar and Troy who sort of reduce themselves to giggling like schoolgirls when they see <laughs> Riker dress up in the traditional costume of this society. And I I feel like it's maybe like just, I don't know. It's, it seems like if, if, uh, if the gender roles were reversed, it would be like a really disgusting show of male chauvinism. And you would think <laughs> yeah. that a writer that is going to tackle an episode where uh, the society is misandrist in the way our society is misogynist mm. uh, would would have the wit to see what they're doing in that moment yeah uh that's a great nom and i and I agree with you on those points um to me, no one else could be drunk Shimoda besides Riker because he's got that confidence of i think we all know this person like the guy at the party. Who's like, no man, I'm I'm fine to drive. I'm no, I'm, I'm I'm all right. Like like nothing bad's gonna happen to me. And and that scene to me is the scene where he puts on the costume and and somehow makes the case that he's not gonna go fuck Sarah Connor in that moment. Yeah. Like no, no, it's it's diplomatic relations. I promise. Like everything's gonna be cool. Like he's got that level of of bullshit hanging off of him uh, while his nipple is hanging out. And to me. Nothing could be more drunk Shimoda than that. Yeah, it's just so, I mean, you know, if if, if, if I'm standing in a room with that man looking at that <laughs> nappy nest of chest hair, I'll believe anything he tells me. Yeah, yeah, eating it up. Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> come with me or come on? Uh, I am cute as a board. You are you will assist us. Ben, what do we got coming up next on our on the next exciting episode? Uh, so the next episode is entitled one one zero zero one zero zero one, which uh, at the end of Datalore, they're like off to go get their computer refit, and I feel like this was what they were talking about. So the Enterprise is hijacked by an alien species who need the ship's computer 
to regenerate the one damaged on their own planet. So what I remember about this episode is that this species are called the Binars, and there's a pair, they, they're like in pair groups, and they are super advanced and speak to their pair-bonded uh, counterpart in binary code and are great at fixing computers, but their own computer is fucked up and it's killing their planet. So they uh, they decide to hijack the Enterprise. And uh, the way they distract the crew is, I guess most of the crew is on shore leave, but they get Picard and Riker uh, kind of duking it out over a babe in the holodeck. I remember this episode better than maybe any other episode uh, in the first season. And honestly, I think it might be one of my favorite ep- episodes of the whole season. I love it. And, yeah. the, and the reason is like... It's a heist episode. Totally. And I love like, a good heist. Yeah. The idea of stealing a starship, like, I, I thought was super cool. And the idea that, and even more, like, uh, no one's on board the ship except for, for Riker and Picard, as far as I remember. So, like, you're on this giant ship, you're by yourself, it's been hijacked. Like, I think that's just cool no matter what genre you're in. And, and for that reason, it's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, of the entire series, um, yeah, the release or the reception, I mean, uh, was was just as favorable. I mean, people are saying it came very close to being a really good episode, <laughs> <laughs> and easily season one's best and most memorable. Right. What do you think? Do you like it? I like it. I remember that lady being a real uh, attractive babe, and uh, there's a lot about uh, minuet, right? Minuet, right? It's like it's like set in a jazz club, I think. So there's a lot of uh, you know Riker playing his trombone, which is uh, always always fun. The trombone, of course, being the soprano sax of brass instruments in terms of <laughs> of suggestiveness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I I think the it's like an interesting alien species uh, that they uh, that they're interacting with. Maybe a little bit preposterous that the alien species that is best at computers is the one that needs help with their computer. But, uh, you know, I, I forget quite how they justify it. So maybe that's okay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to rewatching this. Me too. As we stagger to the finish, uh, I just want to thank everyone for listening. And if you have any thoughts or comments, be sure to reach out to us, uh, on the Twitters. I'm cut for time. Ben is Benjamin R. A-H-R. Is that is that your, your Twitter handle? Am I correct in that? That's correct, yeah. And we're, we've been using the hashtag greatestgen, which uh, is uh, kind of an embarrassment because there's a lot of uh, people mourning their World War II fighting uh, grandfathers on it, but also us making dumb Star Trek jokes. So It's a real good mix. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever had an awkward moment at the Thanksgiving table with your grandpa, it's basically the Twitter equivalent of that. Yeah. So uh, so go check that out. Um, leave us an iTunes review if you really want to stick it to us and make even more people listen to this embarrassing, embarrassing show. Yeah, we got a great review that I just read, which was calling this the uh, the real-life equivalent of the Chris Farley show. <laughs> which was my favorite review that I've read so far. So uh, I just want to say thank you for that. And uh, 
Do you remember that time where we recorded a Star Trek podcast, Ben? Uh, yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, that's about it for me. I'm Adam Franica. I'm Ben Harrison. See you next time. See you next week.